For those of you who don't know me, uh, my wife and I and our family have been coming here to Cornerstone for uh, six years now. And uh, last year during COVID, they asked, uh, we were asked to, encouraged to move up to March Street. We were going to Second Street, and uh, because we had a shortage of board members up here, and so plus they had more classes for our children, so we switched over here last year, and we've been coming here ever since. A uh, little background on me: I was an assistant pastor here in Easton for uh, seven and a half years, and then a pastor in Virginia for a year before that out of college. So, uh, but about six years ago, we, we stopped doing that and came here, uh, and uh, been enjoying it ever since we came here. So, I'm glad this is the first time, uh, this month, seven years ago, was the last time I preached, and uh, so this is my first time back up front on a Sunday morning. So, excited to be here today. Uh, when I was in college, Bible college, we went on a, a, mi a missions trip to Ireland, uh, we were in South Ireland, and we were uh, with the missions team there. And one day, they took, you know, took a day off, and we went to uh, visit castles. And there's this one castle in South Ireland called Blarney Castle. Uh, it's near Cork. And so we went there, and uh, the thing about this, it's a beautiful castle, very old, but you go to the top there, and there is a stone in the castle wall at the very top. And uh, what you can do is it's kind of a tourist trap. You know, you go up there. There's a person there, and you, you have to lean backwards and grab a hold of two bars. And the thing is, you kiss this stone, and uh, it's supposed to give you the gift uh, of public speaking. <laughs> so there's six of us on this missions trip, and we're there, and three of them are like, let's do it. It's fun. You pay $20, you get a certificate to take home. I guess you can put it on the wall. Uh, I'm like, this is dumb, this is stupid. How many people, you know, I, I wonder if they're even still doing it anymore after last year, kissing that rock. But anyway, uh, you can see the stone there. It's really dark there where everyone's kissed it a million times. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. So I didn't kiss the rock, so sorry. <laughs> uh, January, uh, about 10 years ago, my, uh, my parents came into uh, uh, an inheritance, and they decided to take our whole family on a cruise in January. We were excited. I'd never been on a cruise before. My grandparents decided to come along as well, and uh, they're not, I would say, they're not churchgoers. They go twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Uh, and so uh, this was a big event because there's 10 children in my family, so my parents took all of us on this cruise, and we're if you ever been on a cruise, uh, they have a dining room area, and you got to basically you're assigned a table. And if you're, you know, if you're a couple on a cruise, you might have to sit with other people you don't know for the whole cruise. Well, because we had such a big family, uh, we were able to all sit at the table together every night uh, for dinner. And uh, one night, my mom leans over to me. I'm sitting next to her, and my grandmother is diagonally across from me. And uh, my mom leans over, and she doesn't say it very quietly as she should have. Dan, why don't you ask your grandmother why she doesn't go to church? <laughs> what? It's like, ask your grandmother why she doesn't go to church. You're a pastor. She'll listen to you. I'm like, no, what? What are you talking about? <sighs> Trying to enjoy dinner. She's like, ask her. And I look out of the corner of my eye, and there my grandmother is just staring at me. And she's, uh, how would, how, as the former governor said, she's Italian. Uh, and she's... <laughs> She's, uh, she can be not nice, especially to salespeople, so I'm a little nervous, and uh, I just I turn and look at her, and she obviously heard what my mom said, so I, I said, Grandma, 
why don't you go to church? And she, uh, right out without skipping a beat, she says, because it's just a social club. And why, you know, can, can't you be a Christian and not go to church? And I just looked at her, like, looked at my parents, and my dad was like, no. <laughs> that was that conversation. But I, had, I got to thinking about it afterwards, and I'm like, sometimes people do treat church like a social club a little bit, you know? Treat it more of a place where we gather together and then we move on to other... I, I, I dare say that most of us have left a church to come to this church or any other church. And, uh, and then I got to thinking about what separates church from just a place where we gather socially, a social club. We're going to look in today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. That's where we're going to be today. Philippians chapter 2 is one of my uh, favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, but most people preach or talk about the first four verses or, or the first 11 verses because it's just a famous passage giving uh, doctrine, theology about Jesus and how he, he left heaven. The theme of chapter 2 is humility, how God forsook his glory, uh, left it behind, came to earth. As, as Jesus in the form of uh, a man and became one of us and how he humbled himself to the will of the Father to, uh, to be uh, for us what we could not be, to take away our sin. And the beginning of chapter 2, he's encouraging them to be of a humble mind, have humility, and put others before themselves. Uh, but we're going to talk about the verses right after that today. Um, let's read those verses real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's pray real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time this morning. Uh, may our time be uh, worshipful, worshipful to you, Lord. May uh, we just focus on your word and what you have to say to us. And uh, be with us, may it not leave us as we leave this building today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this church at Philippi uh, was the first church that Paul planted on his second missionary journey. You may recall, maybe not, uh, he was on a missions trip in Asia, and he got a vision from God. Go to Macedonia, which is what we call Greece uh, today, and uh, go there, and I have, you know, I have something for you to do there. And so he immediately dropped everything, went to Philippi, and started a church. It was the first church in Europe that uh, was planted. Uh, this town was started after the assassination of Julius Caesar. There was a big battle, a power struggle. Four uh, different leaders were vying for control of Rome. Uh, Brutus and Cassius fought Mark Antony and Octavian here in, this, in the plains here, right off the coast of uh, the sea there. And uh, Octavian and, and Mark Antony won the battle and they immediately ordered some of their soldiers to stay behind and settle a town there. And Octavian later became the emperor. He ordered more people from Italy to go settle there. 
And the, 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 uh, the, the play on this was that if you were ordered and you obeyed to go there, you would be given full Roman citizenship and all the perks that came with it. So anyone could go, we'll give you this land, you gotta stay there, but you gotta drop everything, go, and you'll become full Roman citizens in Philippi, even though you're not in Rome. Uh, this is the, uh, the first three people recorded that were converted there were Lydia, uh, the woman who owned her own business, and then uh, you remember that we uh, actually, I think we heard a sermon about it a month ago, about the, uh, the woman that was uh, a slave girl who was divining things, and, and Paul com- they were, she was following Paul around everywhere, and she was converted to Christianity, and that sparked a, uh, they were arrested for it. There was a riot, and Paul and uh, Timothy were thrown in prison, and the jailer, there was an earthquake there. The jailer was going to commit suicide because he thought they'd escape, but they stopped him, and he and his whole family uh, also became believers as well. So this church, uh, a lot of things happened right there while they were there on this missions trip. Uh, this church was a church that Paul just loved. It was, you know, you can tell in this letter, this is a church that was close to him that he kind of looked at as this is my, like my child. You know, I, I planted this church, I helped plant it. They supported him as a missionary. They sent at least three uh, monetary gifts. In fact, this letter is in response to the third one, at least. Uh, he is now, again, in jail, a prisoner in Rome, waiting for his, uh, his uh, trial. And uh, he's hopeful in this letter. I'm hoping that this will go well. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be released. Uh, we know later that he was not, that he was executed. Uh, but at this time, he's writing to them, and they're very concerned for him. And so they sent probably one of their elders with this gift. And the elder got sick and stayed there with him and helped him. And so he's writing this letter back to them. It's all very, you can tell through the letter, it's very uh, in, a, in a loving manner. Uh, you know, I love you guys. You're, you know, but you can also tell under the surface there's things going on at that church in Philippi. Uh, some of the things that they were struggling with, and we're gonna, this kind of brings to light what I want to talk about today. The church, every church there is in America and in the world, is going to have conflict and sin in the church building, in the, in the, in the body of believers. Uh, no matter what church you're part of, there's always going to be sin, there's always going to be conflict between members, between leaders, between the people that go there. Um, and we should expect it. Um, we strive to be a, a church uh, that is righteous, that is holy, that is sanctified, but deep down inside, we all know that there is sin in each one of us. We're not perfect. Neither was this church. Some of the struggles that they had at the Church of Philippi, there was strife between the church members. Uh, there were those who, uh, this was a group of Christians that were uh, mostly Gentiles. There were very few Jews in this church that was separated them from a lot of the churches that were before it where they would go into each town and talk to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And uh, there were very few Jews in this area. So it was mostly Gentiles. It was also a church that had uh, women that figured prominently in their church. Uh, We see in uh, chapter 4, there were two women that were fighting with each other. Uh, And Lydia was the first church uh, convert there in that town. So this this was a different kind of church than most of the churches before it but it was one that worked, seemed to work really well. They supported him 
we see in Corinthians that they weren't supporting him while he was there, but the church in Macedonia, it says, which would be Philippi most likely, was sending the money to them as they were there to support him. So there were things going on in this church. And so Paul writes this letter encouraging them lovingly, be humble. Be humble, work with each other, put each other first. Think of the, the, the unity of this church. And think of the gospel that saved you, what God is doing in your life. And, and think of that first. Um, so beware that we all go to a church with sinful people. This is, you know, it's kind of like a hospital rather than a, in a, a perfect place. It's, it's a place where we come together, we all bring our sin in the door, and uh, we hope that as we work together, God works through us and, and with each other to, uh, to grow us together. Uh, and that's the name of my sermon. I skipped over that, but collective growth. God works through us as a church to grow together. Uh, I'm, I'm sad as I look over the last year how many people uh, we lost or who aren't going to church anymore at all. And I think about my, my grandmother's question, can you go to church? Can you be a Christian and not go to church? You can be a believer. Obviously, there are people that can't go to church at all. They can't drive anymore. They can't get here. They're shut-ins. Um, but God uses the church to work in and through us. God grows us through the church. And you, can't, you can grow in Christ in your knowledge of God at home, and we should. Um, but you, God works through the church to grow each one of us. Uh, that's my second point, is through the church that God works in and through us. And let's look closely at the verses that we're talking about, verses 12 and 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, and, and I already mentioned what, God, what he was talking about right before, that therefore means just, you know, look at what we were just talking about. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my ab absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I had to spend most of my time studying on this one verse, and that one phrase, work out your own salvation. Uh, let's, let's talk about what it's not. It's not... Uh, work for your salvation. We know that salvation is not by works, lest any man should boast. Uh, this is not work out your salvation. It's also not, a, you know, in the plural form, uh, liberation theology, where we collectively get our salvation. No, it, work out your salvation, assuming that you're already saved. He's talking to believers here in this in this chapter in this book. Work out your salvation. What does that mean? not working for your salvation, then what is it? This is speaking out, that, that phrase, work out, can be uh, also translated as uh, carry it out until it's finished, or bring it to completion, or just even fully realize it in your life. Your salvation, you're, you're saved, fully realize that in your daily living, in the way you live, in the way you're here at church. Bring out that salvation and, and fully display it. Make it fully realized. Sanctify, being sanctified means growing to that, that point of completion. We are never going to be perfect here on earth, so our sanctification in Christ will never be complete until we get to heaven. But continue working on that sanctification. Continue working on it. And, and the point I'm making here is that we can work on that at home. We should. I'm going to say this. It's kind of twofold. If you're only point of growth in, in Christ is here on Sunday mornings and nothing else, 
then you're never going to grow in Christ. Um, this is not enough. Just coming Sunday mornings, it's great. You know, my grandparents only came twice a year, and maybe you come once a week, but there needs to be more than that. You know, in order to understand God, you've got to be reading at home. You've got to be studying theology at home. You've got to be uh, daily renewing your mind. But you also need to be at church. And more than that, you need to be involved in church. You need to be committed to that church. It's hard for us today because we live in a, it goes kind of countercultural. We live in an individualistic culture in which we think of this. We think of sin as personal. We think of growth as personal. It's individual. Um, but more than that, also, it's, it's also collectively in the body of Christ. Uh, I think of one of the struggles here in, in our country. Technology has affected church so much. Up on the slate belt, churches don't, the old churches that don't even have parking lots. How, think of how much just the automobile changed churches in America. I was talking to, a few years ago, I was talking to the youth pastor at Greater Shiloh Church, and he told me that one of their struggles as a church was that a good portion, maybe 40% of their congregation, drives out from New York City every Sunday to go to church here in Easton. And so then they, they all drive back Sunday afternoon, and they don't have any, you know, none of the teens are there for, for youth group. Um, if you think about it, we can go to any church here in the Lehigh Valley that we want. If we don't want to come here to Easton, we can drive over to Allentown. Uh, everybody in the slate belt drives somewhere else to go to church. Very few people go to church in the slate belt. Uh, everyone can go anywhere. Yeah, you know, we can. If we don't like this church, we don't like the music, we don't like the preaching, we don't uh, get along with certain people. Just go somewhere else, right? Before people had to go to the church in their town, that was it. And if it wasn't a church that you agreed with, you were kind of stuck with that. But we can go anywhere we want. We can even just watch sermons online. So all that kind of changes, it makes it convenient for us to not be committed to a church, to go wherever we want to go. If we get into a fight with someone, we can leave. Uh, for whatever reason, we can just leave. So what I'm challenging you today is we need to be committed to the church that we have. And that means sticking by even when we're hurt. It means confronting other people when they're in sin. It means that if we're in sin, being willing to be confronted and not to just leave and go somewhere else and start over. Um, that's kind of, it's countercultural really for Christians in America. And that's why I'm preaching. I know most of you here, I'm sure, are Christians and you go to church regularly. And I just want to challenge you. It, it's hard sometimes when that, when that moment is you, when you're the one being confronted or when you have to stand up to uh, someone else, it's easy just to leave. And so I want to encourage you, commit to, there's a reason why we go through the covenant, uh, membership covenant at our annual meeting. Just remind ourselves that we're committed to this, this group. And if you're not a church member, I encourage you, we usually do a membership class in the fall and the spring. Think about becoming a member and uh, getting even more involved in our church. Um, verses, uh, we're back in verse 12. It says, work out your own salvation. That means, you know, fully realize it in your life with fear and trembling. I think the best word that kind of sums up those two is reverence. Reverence to God. Remember that he's watching over us, that he's looking down and seeing what we're doing as a church with each other. And uh, we should have reverence to God for that. This is his body, his, his, uh, his, his bride, and how we, uh, how we handle that, he's watching. So, so treat it with reverence. 
Paul reminds them that it is God that works in and through each believer in the church. God that works in and through you. He's the one that changes your life, that transforms you into a believer, into a follower of him. And he works through each one of us to each other. I would think of, uh, well, it, it, one thing that struck out to me as I read these verses is that you can look at the, you, you don't often read in the, in the translations, it says you, you, you know, over and over again, but is it a you, like an individual, or is it you, plural, like all of you? And uh, in this passage, all of them are in plural, verses, verse 12 and verse 13. For it is God who works in you. All these words are plural. He's talking to the the whole church in Philippi, God works through you, plural. And I, and I wondered, is this talking about the problems that they were going through? Is God, uh, is Paul addressing the church as a whole, or is he talking about individually? And every commentary I read had one or the two. You know, it got, he's talking about working out your salvation in your life personally, but then others said, oh, well, he's talking about delivering them out of the issues they were having in their church. Because salvation can also be translated as deliverance. It was in chapter 1 of this very book, um, translated as deliverance. So as I read about it, I thought, why can't it, you know, why can't it be both? Work out your salvation individually in your own daily life, but also work it out in church with each other, how you, how you live with each other. It is through the church that God shines to the world. I, I enjoyed hearing this month about the missionaries that were speaking here and what God is doing throughout the world. And it's just a reminder that God uses the church to reach the world. God uses the church to reach the community. It is through this church that God has chosen to work. He could do it any way he wanted, but he chooses to use us. Even though we are imperfect as a, as a group, even though... Satan attacks us from the outside, and we bring our own sin from the inside of this church. God chooses to work through us. I was reading 1 Corinthians over the weekend and uh, in my Bible reading, and it, I got to chapter 5 where it talks about how God uses the foolish of this world to confound the wise, and how God uses us as jars of clay. We really are, if you think about it, we try to, we try to be professional as we can, but we just we, we mess it up all the time. We do. But God uses us anyway to reach the world. That's how he chose to bring the gospel to others. And so it is through us that God uses, um, that God reaches the world. Verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I have, I have an old ESV from when it first came out when I was in college, and I didn't realize that they updated it since then. So at the very end of verse 14, it said, do all things without grumbling or questioning, and they changed it to disputing uh, later on, which matched most of the other translations. But do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shine as lights in the world in the midst of a dark world, a crooked and perverse generation and hopefully, when people come through these doors, they see what the gospel can do in believers. I heard the story of a, a young man who didn't have a family much, so he hung out with his friends at their house all the time. And it was through them, their family structure, that he got to see how the gospel was lived out. 
and that ended up leading to his salvation. It wasn't from going to an event or hearing a, a speaker. It was just from being with this family and seeing how the mom and dad act and how they treated their children and how the children treated each other, and they got to see the go- he got to see the gospel lived out. We should be living out the gospel here in this church with each other. When people come in, they, they should see the gospel. They shouldn't just have to hear it. They should see it in each one of us. So we, God uses us to shine to the world. Uh, we live out, we put it into practice. Uh, I think of, of weight loss. You know, we, when you try to lose weight, you, you join the gym, right? But you also, you have to eat right. And the biggest part of weight loss is eating right. That's what we do on our own time. But, but a big part of it is putting that into practice by working out as well. Uh, we can consume and listen to sermons all the time. We can read books. But this is where we put it into practice, here in our homes, with our family, and in our church, with our church family. That put it into practice. It's by being transformed and sanctified that we are separated from the world, that we look different. We should be more, you know, if a church is just a social club, it's no different than the world. But we are so much more than that. It's so much more than a social club. It, it is a place um, where we can speak into each other's lives. We can bear with each other in our pain and our suffering. We can also bear with each other in patience when we fall into sin. And the hard part about sin is that it, it tends to isolate us, or we tend to isolate ourselves when we're involved with it. We tend to, uh, to get away from everybody else, to want to ha- have that sin in private, not have it brought to light. But also, we tend to think, you know, our sin affects everyone around us. We tend to think of sin as private and that it's personal, but really it affects everyone in our lives. Whether they know it or realize that you're sinning or not, it, it touches everyone. My, uh, my youth leader, when I was growing up, the guy that ran my youth group, he was a volunteer. He was also an elder in our church. A few years later, it came out that on Sunday afternoons, he would go and have an affair with, with uh, someone else, not his wife, and then come to church Sunday night and preach. And when that came out, his sin affected the whole church. It affected everyone. It affected his family most of all. Um, Sin is never private. It always affects others. That's why we have to take it very seriously and confront each other and keep each other accountable. But too often, when a leader is in sin in a church, everyone just leaves and moves to another church. And there's usually one guy left to stand up to that person and by then, everyone else is gone. There's no one to stand with them. Uh, we gotta, we got to stay and commit and confront each other and keep each other accountable, love each other. And we got to go through the process of reconciliation and restoration from sin. Too often, we never see that in church. That's a big part of the gospel. Because it's, it's going to happen. Each one of us is going to sin. And, and each one of us is going to have, have to repent of it. And if there's no one there to help each other with that, then it's just going to move on to the next place. So in all that, I just want to say, we think of church growth as growth in numbers, maybe, or growth in in, uh, finances. But we also can't forget to, to focus on growth as in strength and quality of our church and how we handle situations like that, and how we come together in in hard times when we're being attacked by Satan or when we have sin that's infiltrated. 
uh, anywhere in our church. We got to come together. We got to stand firm and, and be strong. Because I promise you that what's coming down in the future is going to get harder and harder. And we got to be ready for it. Um, so let's come together. And uh, some of the applications I got from this is that we need to commit to our church. Uh, but also that we cannot grow fully in Christ. We cannot reach that, bring that, that salvation to completion, to fully realize it, if we're not involved and committed to our local body. If we're not growing, growing together, we're not really going to fully grow. We can come to a great and deep knowledge where we come to church and the, the, the sermon just feels like a, like a little devotional because we already know it all. But even if you know it all, you still got to put it into practice here. And that's how, as we walk alongside each other, we can, we can kind of keep each other growing together in the way of Christ. Good morning.